Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Tom Brady made it official. He retired this morning. He posted a statement that read in part, quote, I have always believed the sport of football is an all-in proposition. If a 100% competitive commitment isn't there, you won't succeed. And success is what I love so much about our game. There is a physical, mental, and emotional challenge every single day that has allowed me to maximize my highest potential, and I've tried my very best these past 22 years. There are no shortcuts to success on the field or in life. The statement continues, quote, This is difficult for me to write, but here it goes. I am not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. I have loved my NFL career, and now it is time to focus my time and energy on other things that require my attention. End quote. End quote, but not end of the statement. That was not the whole statement. In fact, the statement went on and on and on and on. Eight pages on Instagram. There was the first page. And then there was the second page that spent more time on the decision, and he thanked his teammates in Tampa Bay. Then there was a page for Bucks fans, the city of Tampa, and entire Tampa-St. Petersburg region, and the Glazer family. Then there was one for the Bucks GM, Bruce Arians, and the rest of the Bucks coaches. Then there was a page for Bucks staffers, his trainer, and his representatives. Then there was one for his parents, his wife, and kids. Then another page of reflection. Then a page plugging his businesses. Hey, yo, dude. Hey, goat. Do you think you got it all in there, goat? Ease up, dude. You're retiring from the NFL, not declaring your independence from England. This guy's treating his retirement announcement like he's discovered the origin of the universe. A few sentences will suffice, my guy. The way he was going through the Bucks organization, I kept waiting for a page on the Bucks team history. Thank you, James Wilder. Hardy Nickerson, Derek Brooks, Mike Allstott. I mean, nothing for the mascot? Nothing for Simeon Rice? And weirdly, nothing at all for the Patriots. Now, I guess that he would say that he already thanked them in the past, but it was kind of interesting to note that in all of those pages, the Bucks got a whole lot more love than the Pats. Here's my overall reaction, however, to that retirement. Good. Good. He's the greatest quarterback in NFL history. That's just a fact. He is the GOAT. The greatest quarterback in NFL history. The thing about his greatness is, I don't need to run down a list of the accomplishments. If you want to argue that he's not the greatest of all time, then that's on you, not him. I mean, you're pretty much just a hater at that point if you're going to argue that point. He is the GOAT. There's no debate there. He is the GOAT. So my reaction to the greatest retiring is, good, good, I'm glad. I'm glad for him, I'm happy that he's happy, and I'm happy for all of us now that it's finally over. Because the way this thing was trending, it was going to go on forever. 
It felt like the decision to retire after 22 years was going to take another 22 years. Then again, it nearly took me 22 years just to get through the Instagram post. And the weird thing about all of it is how anticlimactic this whole thing is. At this point, nobody's surprised that he retired. Not after that report dropped on Saturday. Not after all the speculation prior to that report dropping on Saturday. Not when there were reports that indicated that his teammates and people around him were expecting it. Not when his agent and his father tried to hit that story with some cold water, but really couldn't do it. The only surprise is that when his podcast dropped yesterday, he was still trying to insist that he had not yet made a decision. Like, he was that guy who's at the party who says, all right, I'm out, got to go, peace out, thanks for everything, and he's leaving, but doesn't actually leave. He says he's leaving, grabs his keys and his coat, and then you see this guy an hour later sitting on the couch, having a plate of food, still holding on to his keys. I mean, check him yesterday on his podcast when he talked about how he was, quote, still going through the process. Sometimes it, it takes some time to really evaluate how you feel and what you want to do. And, and uh, I think when the time's right, I'll be ready to make a decision one way or another, just like I said last week. All right. So when asked in yesterday's podcast about that time, when it was right, if he had a timeline for his decision, here's what he had to say. I don't know. I know when the time's right. So like I've always said, it's, you know, I'm very blessed to play as long as I had, you know, as, as, as things have gone on in the later parts of my career, whether that was five years ago or, you know, even this year, you know, there's a lot of interest in when I'm going to stop playing. And I understand that. I don't, it's not that I don't recognize that just, when I know, I'll know. And when I don't know, I don't know. And I'm not going to you know, race to some conclusion about that. Weird, right? This was yesterday. So either they taped that a long time ago, or this dude was just lying through his teeth, or both. If that was taped within the last few days, there is no way that he did not know that he was retiring today. There's no way he woke up this morning and just banged out that short novel on social media the way that he did. But man, he was selling it hard in the podcast, right? He was selling it hard. He was saying things like this. I'm going to take it, you know, day by day. It really is. I'll take it by the moments and, and figure out when, you know, I feel really confident to allow people to, you know, who I, I understand my decision affects a lot of people's lives. So when that decision comes, it'll come. So it turns out that taking a quote day by day meant waiting a few more hours until posting it. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to make it dramatic, more dramatic, but he failed. Like all that stuff on that podcast would have been really suspenseful if anybody actually believed him. And when it comes out right now, the way it did, then it does feel really anticlimactic. The social media tributes, the reactions from his teammates and his opponents, they were all done days ago. I mean, I guess we could rev it up all over again. I guess we could run it all back all over again. I guess we could graduate him all over again. But it feels kind of weird, right? You know, like saying goodbye to a guy at the party a second time. It felt for sure like the holdup. I mean, what was the holdup? Was it contractually related? Was it that his social media crew was preparing some overproduced video? Can't be that, right? He only went with a statement. Like, that was it? 
That's what we were waiting for. Is there some kind of business angle or financial incentive or cap angle or like what's going on here? He could have banged that out in a notes app in a few minutes. Or at least you could have done the first page in a few minutes. The other seven would have taken hours. But even when he posted it, this is weird to me. I don't know if any of you picked up on this. But even when he posted it, notice that he didn't say the word retired. He didn't say that word. Instead, he went with this. Quote, this is difficult for me to write, but here it goes. I am not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. End quote. Conscious uncoupling. Cannot believe that word salad. Conscious uncoupling. Uncoupling thinks that no longer making, quote, that competitive commitment is a weird way to say something. So even when the guy is retiring and finally gets around to saying he's retiring, he can't say he's retiring. I mean... As tedious as that statement was, at least it is something, right? Because the way this guy had been trending as of yesterday was that it was just getting started on this process, and my man was going to go all Brett Favre with it and drag it out for weeks and months. Listen, the guy's the GOAT. Without question, Tom Brady had an absolutely sensational career. The best ever. The best ever. Weird ending, though. <laughs> One of the weirdest ever. When that decision comes, it'll come. Now, I know you clones. And even as I know you clones, I'm not going to lie. It is kind of annoying. And I'll tell you why. One, the way he did it. But two, even more so, you know I was all ready to talk Golden Corral steak brawl this morning. You know that's where I was going. You know that was the story that we were going to hit. And then that news came down the pipe. See, you got to admit, not that we didn't know it was coming, but then when it became official, that officially made this story the second biggest story of the morning. Friday night out turned into a melee in Ben Salem at a Golden Corral restaurant. Now police are trying to figure out how it all started. Eyewitness News reporter Matt Petrillo is in Ben Salem tonight. Matt? Well, I talked to a man who posted that video online. He says he was told that fight broke out after the buffet here ran out of steak. Video shared with Eyewitness News shows punches being thrown and high chairs flying as a fight breaks out inside the Golden Corral in Ben Salem Friday evening. Ben Salem police confirm the brawl may have involved more than 40 people and happened following an argument among some customers. Officers are still looking into what caused the argument. I've never seen nothing like that in, in Golden Corral before. This man who used to work at the Ben Salem Golden Corral says he was told by a current employee about the initial altercation. From what I heard, it was over stake. Um, Apparently somebody cut in line. His friend heard the same details. There was a shortage of steak. Hey, listen, am I wrong? Am I wrong? You wouldn't rather hear about a brawl in a Pennsylvania golden corral than Tom Brady retiring again. You wouldn't rather hear about how a free-for-all started because they ran out of steak and somebody cut the line. Go ahead, add that to our list of reasons to go. 
Do we need to go over line cutting etiquette? Cutting the line is a reason to go. If you're in line in an amusement park, like I get it. Let mom wait in line with her kids. If you're a Costco and you want a sample of that French bread pizza or a pork dumpling, do not. I repeat, do not cut in front of the others. I think that's pretty obvious. But then again, who would have ever thought that a full-on melee, if not small-scale riot, would result over some meat that had been sitting under a heat lamp for who knows how long? Eating your own shoe would probably be more tender and tasty. Honestly, clones, I know this sucks for you. I have a job to do, all right? I know that that's your top story. I know that's what you want to talk about. I know you are all about good. Let's get it. We're talking chocolate fountain. We're talking soft serve ice cream. We're talking about the dining experience at the GC. We're talking about how running out of meat is a reason to go. I know that's what you want to do. But old Brady had to rip your headline, didn't he? Punches being thrown and high chairs flying as a fight breaks out inside the Golden Corral in Ben Salem Friday evening. Punches being thrown, high chairs flying as a fight breaks out at the Golden Corral. Hey, man, you best not run out of meat. Let me tell you something. If you run out of meat at a GC, somebody's high chair is getting weaponized. I can all but promise that. If you run out of meat and there's a line cut going on, high chairs will be weaponized. 1-800-636-8686. So those are your two top stories. And unfortunately for you clones, in that order. <laughs> And don't try and tie Tom's old OC into a Golden Corral take either. Charlie and Lawrence was not there. He was not the one that snapped when they ran out of meat. He was not the one weaponizing high chairs. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Shaka Smart is my guest. Shaka, great to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you back. Listen, you and I spoke back in April, right after you were named head coach there. So what have the nearly 10 months been like for you and for the program? Kind of take me through that quickly. What's it been like? It's been great. Yeah, it's been a a real uh, whirlwind getting to know you process for everyone involved, you know, for our staff getting to know everyone here. and, And we've got only three players that, we're on the team last year at Marquette, so a lot of new players, everybody getting to know each other. And that's been really the most important emphasis for us is just relationship building, getting guys comfortable with each other on and off the court, 
and uh, it's been been a lot of fun. In fact, you've done a great job of that. I'm, I'm really, I don't want to say that I'm surprised or shocked, but you've got everybody on the same page and have done so in a short period of time, but it has not been easy. As an example, you dropped a tough one on the road at number 17, Providence, on Sunday. You lost by two, and then your reward is number 12, Villanova, coming to your place tomorrow night. I would say the game against Villanova is huge, but every single game in the Big East is huge. So how are you and the team approaching tomorrow night specifically? Yeah, just one game at a time. I mean, we've we've been in the midst of a heck of a stretch, but as I told the guys, the good thing is you only got to play one opponent at a time. Villanova has been the class of this league for a long, long time. They play with just incredible toughness, and they they do a great job slowing you down. Uh, they play a really, really slow pace, which for us, um, you know, is different than how we want to play. So. It's important, you know, both to make sure that, that we're dedicated to playing our way, but then at the same time trying to be as good as we can be in a slow game as well. We're talking to Shaka Smart. You know, Jay Wright, I think, would say something very similar to you about how tough you guys are to play for a number of reasons. There is similar to that. You look at the Big East. I mean, it's always a meek grinder, but you had a stretch in mid-January where you beat three top 20 teams in a row, and now you have another run of three straight top 20 teams. Like, I understand that it's one game at a time, and that's the good news, but how do you make sure that when you're in that meek grinder that it doesn't take a toll on your guys, it doesn't grind them down, and they keep focus on what's exactly in front of them? Yeah, it's a great. I mean, that's everything, Jim. I think that the first thing is to separate the physical from the, uh, you know, mental and emotional side. Obviously, on the physical side, just just trying to keep them from the guys from doing too much, so that they don't have the freshness they need to go into the game. But much more importantly, is that mental, emotional, or even spiritual side of the guys being in a good place. It's amazing when they're playing for each other, and when they're lost in the fight, as we say. Uh, you can always find more energy, and you can always find whatever it takes to play against a great team, whether it's at home or on the road. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that can muddle the mind, and you know our job is to coaches, as coaches, to help them with that. I love that. Shaka Smart joining us. I love that. Like that line, that phrase, "lost in the fight." That's great. What exactly does that mean to you? I'll give you the short answer. Yeah. Uh, basically. You know, we, we have a, a true inner self, but then we have this kind of BS self that we create, you know, on social media or on our egos or whatever it is that's focused on all the wrong things. Um, and we just try to lose that, you know, that, that little small self, that little worried, scared, anxious self in the fight so that we can be in it together and play for a common cause. And when you do that, it's so much fun. And again, you just have so much more energy for each other. Hey, listen, if that's the short answer, I can't wait for the long answer. Let me ask you this then. I mean, I love that. Like, don't get caught up in that small, worrisome, anxiety-ridden self. So when you're lost in the fight, is it during the game? Is it during practices? Or are you lost? can you be lost in the fight 24-7? Well, Jim, you're lost in the fight when you do your radio show. I mean, I, I, it's, it's really just what we're talking about is being present. And, you know, the small self is based on past and future. Um, but if you can really, really find a way to just be caught up in whatever it is that you're doing in the moment, you know, for us, we have the good fortune to play Villanova tomorrow, a top 12 team in the country on our home floor. Who wouldn't want to do that? So just being able to kind of clear out some of the clutter that the past and the future tends to create in our mind and lose ourselves in the present. 
100%. Shaka Smart joining us. I love that. So fans associate you with that havoc defense and the nightmares that it can cause the opposition. But as you yourself have said, some of your best teams were, quote, tougher, meaner, and more aggressive, and opponents had to deal with that. Like, I'm curious, when people look at the teams in the past and they're focused on the scheme, the actual scheme, are they missing out on the passion and the fire that your players had? Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you, you're talking a lot of football this time of year. It applies to that sport as well. The mindset and the, the collective uh, you know, mental-emotional approach of the team always overcomes the scheme. And, in fact, it informs the scheme. You know, you, any great scheme out there, I don't care what sport you're playing, relies upon a, you know, just a vicious, ferocious mindset. Even if it's a team in basketball that plays really slow and methodically, you still have to have, you know, a really, really tough-minded approach. So for us, when we've been at our best over the years, whether we're pressing or not, it's just been a, a mentality of, hey, we're some wild dogs out there on the court. We're going after our prey. We're in it together, and we're having a ton of fun doing it. Shaka Smart joining us. The million-dollar question, then, of course, do you can you coach and teach that vicious mindset, or do you recruit it? Both. Yeah, both for sure. I mean, the recruiting part has to come first because <laughs> there's that old saying in coaching about uh, chicken salad. Right. <laughs> you, right. You know the rest, but you got You know, if you want a competitive team, you can't recruit non-competitive guys. If you want an unselfish team, you can't recruit a bunch of selfish people. Uh, so I think that gives you the foundation. But from there, especially for us, because we're dealing with guys that come in here at 17, 18 years old, it's about teaching them the cultural components that, that go into championship-level success. Because let's be honest, I don't know how you were at that age, but I certainly had no understanding as a teenager, what, you know, what really, really went into being my best. So they need help with that. Hey, Shaka, honestly, the truth is I'm in my 50s now, and I think about that stuff, and I still do not fully understand what it takes to be my best. And that's just a real response. Like, and I'm trying really hard to figure it out. So you're right. At 17, how would they know? You talk culture. Like every coach that I've ever spoken to ever talks culture, and for good reason. But you actually say specifically the culture for the first two years. Why is it so important to really emphasize that culture in the first two years? It's the foundation. You know, it's like building a house. I mean, if you don't have that sound foundation, you're in trouble. So when we talk about culture, all we mean is how we act, interact, and respond. Uh, that's it. You know, we try to boil it down to that for our guys. And the reality is, like, you know, it's easy to have words on the wall in our practice gym. Uh, we have a 27-page culture document that we give to our guys. That's, that's all well and good. But it's about what we bring to life, especially in adverse situations. So, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, helping these guys and trying to hold them to a standard of that, knowing that, you know, you, you, Rome wasn't built in a day, but I, I really appreciate the way that our guys have latched on to it. Shaka Smart joining me for a few more moments. Standard is the standard, standard over feelings. Listen, when you think about the great Marquette players in recent years, I and mean, we're talking yep. about a who's who, you got Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Wesley Matthews, and so on. How much does the mentality and culture we're talking about fit the program's history and tradition? Fits perfectly. I mean, those guys had a nastiness, a toughness about them. But they also understood the meaning of work and the meaning of, 
you know, what goes into winning um, and being part of something larger than themselves. All the guys that, that you just named, not one of them was a McDonald's All-American. Not one of them was, you know, someone that was anointed from day one that was going to be this great player. They had to earn it. And that's the culture here uh, that's been in place when teams have been great in the past at Marquette. And that's just what we're working towards now. So there's lots of stuff. Shock about quickly. What's the biggest key for your team going into tomorrow night with such a great opportunity in front of you? Well, I know I sound like a broken record, but just focusing on each other and focusing on what goes into winning and letting go of everything else. Uh, you know, we'll have a great crowd. There'll be three officials there that, that uh, call a tough game, and we can't focus on the stuff we don't control. You know, we just got to stay locked in on our game plan. And, again, it's so much fun in a team sport when you're encouraging and, and, and spending so much time and energy on making the guys around you better, and we see that across the board in team sports. So if we're like that, we'll be fine. I can tell how much you like this group. Shaka Smart, the head basketball coach of Marquette. They are 15-7, and seven, just two games back in the always tough Big East. And at home tomorrow night, they are ranked 24th. They've got number 12, Villanova, coming in. Shaka, great respect and appreciation for you. So good to have you back on the show. Thanks so much, and good luck tomorrow night. Thank you, Jim. Awesome to be on. Love what you do, man. Thank you. Big game's coming up, right? Omaha Steaks has got the perfect package to save you over 50%. Now, I've been an enormous fan for years. I mean, literally for years of Omaha Steaks. They make it easy to enjoy an unforgettable game day meal to be loved and shared. And for a limited time, Omaha Steaks is offering a special touchdown game day package. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type in the keyword gym. That's a little bit different now. Keyword Jim in the search bar and take advantage of this exclusive offer. Are you looking for more? Omaha Steaks makes it easy to warm up your winter with 50% off lean tender steaks and hearty home cooked favorites. Visit omahasteaks.com, enter Jim in the search bar, and order the Heartland Favorites package. You will save over 50%, plus, you'll get four lean pork chops and four extra juicy chicken breasts every single time. Every order is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Delivered safe safely to your doorstep. Omaha Steaks. Nobody comes close to matching their flavor, tenderness, and value. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword Jim. Like Raider fan, if you thought that I was hyped yesterday about the hiring of Josh McDaniels as head coach, you haven't seen Bleep yet. Now, I'm not going to embrace my inner Troy Nicholas by taking my shirt off and getting loud as much as I'd like to, but I am tempted because I did see Josh and GM Dave Ziegler's intro presser, and I got to admit, I really liked what I saw. And yes, for the record, this has always been a big Josh McDaniels house. Now, you know this, and I know that aggravates some of you. I understand why he's polarizing. I understand why so many of you can't get with this guy, but I have always thought this about Josh McDaniels. I've always thought that he could be next-level special as a head coach. Because he is that sharp. And he's unparalleled. He's got an unparalleled resume when it comes to being an assistant coach. The guy's got six rings. Six rings. He worked with the GOAT. And even recently, the job he did with Mac Jones, to me, is some of the best stuff he's ever done. And of all the hood protégés, it seems like his football IQ was the one that's most talked about. Hell, the hood himself even compared McDaniels to the dictator himself in that regard so back then when Denver hired him I really liked it that was way back in 09 
And by the way, can you imagine it's been more than a decade since he's been a head coach? Like, I don't know where the time goes. I like that hire. The thing is, when they gave him that opportunity, and he was a really young guy at that time, early 30s, they also gave him a ton of power. And by a ton of power, I mean like all the power. The kind of power and autonomy that the lobster had before him. So when you take a young coach like that, who's never been a full-time head coach, and he's 33, and you give him total power and final say over the roster and nearly everything else, you know, frankly, it's just way too much, way too soon, especially back then. I'm going to say that he was not prepared for all of that back then. Hell, if you listen to him today, he would tell you he was not prepared for all that back then. But I want to say this about the guy. To me, Josh McDaniels was Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay before Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay were who they are in terms of pure football IQ. Again, there's a lot more that goes to it than just scheming, and maybe he wasn't ready for all of that. Maybe he wasn't ready at that time to lead, motivate, and inspire an entire team and organization. Again, smart as hell, ambitious as hell, motivated as hell, but probably at that age, not ready for all of that. And by the way, he's not the only Belichick disciple to have those issues. In fact, they pretty much all do. They pretty much all have made the same mistake. They come in, they rub people the wrong way because they embrace their inner mumbler when they leave New England. Then they start to flex their power when they don't have the same cred or respect as the mumbler himself. And then when things don't go well, then they double down on all of that, and every situation ends up the same in flames. And I think what happened to Josh, you know, remember he got off to a great start, a really quick start. He was 6-0. and Probably that quick start emboldened him. It empowered him. And then as quickly as he started, it all came crashing down, and he was told to hit the bricks 12 games into year two. Like, that's how badly that situation went. So, no, he wasn't ready for that gig at that time. But I'm also going to say Denver's not without blame either because they brought him in and they gave him all that power. So, the big question, the million-dollar question is, other than a fist full of jewelry that he won as an assistant, How is he different now than he was then? Did he learn from his mistakes? Did he grow and evolve as a coach, a leader? Hell, as an individual, can he now connect with and relate to everybody on and off the field as the leader of that franchise, where maybe he could not before? Bottom line, is he ready for this opportunity now in ways that he was not back then? If the answer is yes to all those questions, I think it's a home run hire for the Raiders. And if you go by what he said at his presser and you buy what he's selling, potentially that's a really big win. Because Jim Harbaugh, who allegedly was a candidate for that same gig, never owns anything. McDaniels, though, pretty much owned everything he did his first time around as a head coach. When I went to Denver, um, I knew a little bit of football. I didn't, I didn't really know people uh, and how important that aspect um, of of this process and maintaining the culture and building the team uh, was and um, and I and I failed and I didn't you know I didn't succeed at it and so um, looking at that experience has been one of the best uh, things uh, in my life in terms of my overall growth as a as a person as a coach what do I need to do different how do I need to handle my role if I have another opportunity uh, and do better at it nailed it. Nailed it. That's what you would call extreme ownership. If he means it and can walk the walk, that's awesome. 
Now you might say, hey, yeah, great, Rome. Who wouldn't know that they needed to work on themselves after that debacle in Denver? To which I would say, uh, most of the guys who worked under the hood wouldn't know. Most of those dudes still have no clue that they were the problem. Seriously, if there's anything we know about the Hood's coaching tree, it's that nearly every single coach who has left thinks that they are the Hood. They walk around and act and talk and coach like the Hood. They think they have his credentials. And everybody around them will treat them with the same respect that the Hood commands because they work for the Hood. But then they don't perform. They don't have that cred. Am I wrong? Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Eric Mangini, all the same. Charlie in Lawrence. Jungle Carmel. That dude, too. Same problems as the others. Like, they're all the same guy, almost. Fact. It's almost unfathomable that every branch from the mumbler's tree makes the same exact mistakes and that those lessons have never been learned. Except McDaniels, I think, might be the outlier. A hell of a lot of time has passed since he got that first shot. He's experienced a hell of a lot of success since then as an assistant. It says here, there's no way in hell this guy shows up the same way he did in Denver and the same way all those other guys did who also were broken off. Hey, listen, there is nothing that is guaranteed. You never know. But I'm going to say a 45-year-old dude with amazing credentials who has done the hard work on himself and is now the best version of himself, this time around, I think he will be ready for the opportunity. What I'm saying is, I'm buying in. If you're selling, I'm loading up on this guy's stock. And no, it's not just because he was a clone back in the day. Even if he was, he and Nick Casario both. Absolutely. We, I've been a Jungle fan for about eight years. We, back when we were breaking down film late at night in 2001, Nick Casario and I would listen to this show, uh, all the archive shows, till we left the building at night. So, no, this is, uh, <laughs> this is one of those opportunities where it's something you never imagined you're going to do, and here we are we're on the Jim Rome show, and that's why I told here Mark, that LJ Stu without the nicks and cuts of a blade. Not only did Josh McDaniels say, hey, I, me and Nick listened to the show all the time, he went with a Jay Stew, Nicks and Cuts of a Blade reference. Without the Nicks and Cuts of a Blade. Without the Nicks and so cuts listen, of I appreciate a, a guy who not only knows who he is, but he also knows where he is. And I'll get into that later on, but by that I mean he is truly embracing the legacy, history, and tradition of the Silver and Black, something that he did not do when he got to Denver. I like the hire. I like what I'm hearing. Hey, you want a new podcast to look forward to every single week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to The Daily Jungle, and that's totally fine. In fact, let me suggest a podcast that you should add to your list. It's The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, hostage negotiators, and more. Jordan is one of the goats when it comes to podcasting, and he has got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there right now. Point blank, this dude is smart, he's funny, he is easy to listen to. You will find actionable advice that can improve your life directly. You cannot go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy. 
I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Darius Slay is my guest. Darius, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. Listen, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about, but let me start with your preparation for the Pro Bowl. You have been selected to the fourth Pro Bowl in the last five years. What does this honor mean to you? Uh, it means good, man. Uh, still, is playing at a high level, man. I appreciate my peers, man, for voting me in this and the fans of Philly because, uh, you know, I had worked hard this offseason, man, uh, to, be, to try to be the best in the game. Hey, listen, you and I spoke earlier this season after that massive game against Denver, and we talked about city and county fumbles and the fact that they, quote, nothing but fat guys out there, end of quote. You <laughs> led the league in non-offensive touchdowns this year. So my question is, how much pride is there in completely changing a game with a TD as a DB? Uh, big, because that's what, that's what I was going to do, man. I'm trying to be a game changer and I'll do anything to help the team win. So uh, whatever I got to do, I just go out there and try to execute at a high level. Darius Slay is joining me. So when you go to the Pro Bowl, how do you approach that? I mean, are there guys that you're looking to kind of hang with? Are you looking to pick guys' brains? What is your process once you get there? Uh, all, all of it, man. Uh, pick brains, uh, learn from some other new coaches, uh, have fun with the guys I've been um, associated with for a long time part of these years. And, um, man, it's good for my kids, too. But So my kids love it. Oh, that family loves it, man. They definitely want you to make it in there. Darius Slade mm-hmm. joining us. You're not the first one to say that. So your teammate, Roddy McLeod, said this of you, quote, my man talks nonstop, 24-7. That's what you know you're going to get from Slay, no matter what time of day. He's consistent. I'll say that, end of quote. Like, by the way, he means that in the best way imaginable. I love how much you talk on the field and how much fun you're having. At the same time, that doesn't mean that you're not locked and you're not working. How do you strike that balance between having a good time and making sure you are dialed in and doing the job? Oh, man, because uh, this sport is, you know, fun. I like to have fun, man, but I know it's competitive. And I know a lot of guys depend on me to do my job. So uh, I got the best of both worlds. So I get to have fun and do the uh, have fun doing the job I love to do at a high level. And um, and I, I like just to win, man. I just like to compete, have fun, man. Like I said, I'm blessed. You know, and 20 people make it to this league, and I and I did. And I and I'm accomplished a lot, and I'm, I'm thankful. So uh, I just like to go out there and have fun. Darius Slay is joining us, no doubt. And you've never been afraid to call somebody out. Story goes that when you were actually a rookie, Darius, going up against Calvin Johnson in practice, you actually even called him out. What were those early matchups like when you went up against him in practice, those early battles? Uh, that was tough, man. Uh, my whole rookie year, I didn't uh, knock a ball down from him. It was uh, very hard. <laughs> you know, but uh, he may be who I am today, man competing each and every day. Uh, at the time, Jim Swartz was my head coach. He had made me follow him and practice even when I was on first defense. So I got a lot of scout team up with him. So uh, he helped me become who I am. Hey, Darius, speaking of Schwartz, like if we go back to your rookie year, he benched you in successive games as a rookie. And before the next game, Rashawn Mathis pulled you aside and said, quote, Slay, all I'm here to do is be your guidebook. This is mm-hmm. your DB room. And to quote, I'm really curious, what did it mean to you that a vet would take you aside and say something like that and say it's your DB room? Uh, it means a lot, man, because, like, he saw a lot more than I saw in my, in my potential, man. So, uh, you know, he was in the league at that time, 11 or 12 years. So I guess he already saw the potential before I saw it. And, um, and that just means a lot to me, man, you know, because I came in the game and just trying to compete. I've always been a starter my whole life, 
so, you know, to get my spots took in. And, uh, and he came to me right then and just let me know, like, hey, this is your DB room. I'm here to guide you, man. He's here to, uh, to help you be successful, man. It means a lot for coming from another man. And uh, he kind of helped me who I am as a pro. Because that's, that's how I approach the game with my young guys now, man. That's why I got a lot of young guys that uh, appreciate me being a vet because uh, I keep it honest and I, and I let them work hard and, um, I, and I steer them the right way. You got to pay it forward. Darius Slay is joining us. So you're coming off a year where the team started out 2-5 and five, and then you guys got to turn it around and you got to the playoffs. When you look back on this season, what kind of thoughts do you have? Uh, great. I mean, great thoughts. But all, all I can say we do is, man, we should have uh, – just so that they, you know, play ball, man, have more fun, man. A lot of guys are trying to get adjusted to the system, you know, new coaching style. So uh, a lot of guys are just like, hey, man, what do I fit in there? How do I make these plays that I need to make and what plays I should make? And uh, we kind of figured that out in the half part of the year, and that's why we were successful. We're talking to Darius Slay. You know, earlier this season, you told Bryant McFadden and Patrick Peterson that Jalen Hurts actually reminds you a little of Russell Wilson what have you seen in him that makes you say that? A uh, guy that could, you know, they consider short. They consider they can't read coverage because at, at a young age, they're saying that about Russell. But uh, but still was executing, making plays, extending plays with his feet. Both baseball players, uh, both willing to uh, sit there and learn and be great. Uh, so he got a drive and a mindset of, you know, being at the Pro Bowl with Russell for a couple of times. Just hearing him speak, hearing him talk to us, you know, he takes the game very seriously. And um, that's how Jalen Hurts take it, man. He, he take it seriously, man, uh, with, a, with a lot more swag, though. You know, Russell Cool. Uh, you know, the young generation, they're a little different. <laughs> <laughs> that young generation is a little bit different. Hey, Darius, you want to talk about swag and the young generation. Like, when you see Joe Burrow, what do you make mm-hmm. of his, uh, his energy, his vibe? Man, great, man. That's what kind of guy you need on your team, man. He got, he carries himself like a leader. Uh, he he know he knows from winning, and he brought that to the league, man. Like I, I'm just you know I'm I'm not shocked that he's great, you know, because I already seen that in him. But you know, it's kind of crazy to me, you know, two two uh, draft picks kind of like change the organization. And you know, not saying it's not a team sport, but you know, without Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, you know, you don't know what that that team would have been, you know. So. uh and coming off of ACL, man, you can just see how determined he is, man. He's a great kid, man. One of the top quarterbacks in this game. Darius Slay joining us. That's really high praise, and he's earned it. He He's different. I think he's really uncommon, Joe Burrow. And then, then of course, go ahead, finish that thought. I mean, he just seems like he's uncommon amongst the uncommon. Yeah, man, it seems like he's been here before. <laughs> right. You know, uh, I, I, I ain't going to want to put him too far ahead, but, you know, he reminds me of a guy like LeBron. You know, just because of the fact that everybody thinks it's a lot of pressure. And, you know, he's been used to it. And, shoot, and he, he overcome it all the time. Dude doesn't flinch, does not blink. And this guy's taking a yeah, lot of punishment behind that line. He just keeps getting up. He just keeps getting up and making plays. Darius Slay is my guest. Darius, what do you – you heard of the news, of course. Tom Brady made it official. He's retiring. What is your reaction to that announcement? Oh, man, I'm, I'm – shoot, I'm happy. I'm happy for him, man. 22 years, man, at the plant at a high level. Been to the Super Bowl so many times. Shoot. That's a, that's a track worker you can't beat, man. Uh, obviously, he's the greatest athlete I think of. You know, uh, all the accomplishments he's had, I think he's one, by far the top three athletes in the world. You know, so uh, 
it's a blessing to me. I was here to share the fear with them, you know, play against them. She was a blessing even to pick them off. <laughs> but uh, so, hey, man, I hope he had him and his family have a good, uh, you know, retirement party for him. Hey, Darius, what about that? Like, you faced him twice this season as a DB. What was the toughest thing about his game? Uh, that he was already, always ahead of you. You know, uh, the first game we played him, man, we like, okay, man, it's a tight game, man. We can we rest a couple few plays here, miss a few plays there. Uh, they had Antonio at the time. So this time, this game, we went in like, okay, we got a good matchup for sure now. Uh, and, you know, they, he started the game with no huddle, tempo, like how he switched the game up so much uh, to get a D-line all out of the game and was making all the right reads, right plays. It's like, man, he was – like he probably knew he was playing us like three weeks ago. Right. Darius Slade joining us. I love that uh, representation, that description of what it's like to go up against him. And then, Darius, your former teammate Matthew Stafford is going to the Super Bowl. You called it, too, by the way. Last January, you tweeted, quote, Man, I cannot wait to see where Staff goes. Watch how quick he will be in that elite convo, even though he already is. End of quote. What's it been like for you to watch him play the way he has late on the big stage and make it to the Super Bowl? Man, great. I've been like I've been seeing it for firsthand for seven years. Uh everybody's just always been like Stafford can't never get over the hump, this hump that. Uh the only time that it, I feel like he had a not a down year, but the year that we supposed to have been crazy was two thousand fourteen when our defense was like number two in the in the league. And you know, he and um he was not playing at that level he was then, but right now he's playing extremely high. But other years than that, he carried that team. You know, he put us on our back every day, every week. Uh, seven comebacks in one year. You know, it was crazy. I'm talking about less than a minute drive, and he just making all the plays, all the throws. You know, so um, I was I ain't surprised. You know, I don't know why nobody acting surprised. But uh, that's why I expect for him. I expect him to be in the Super Bowl unless it was us. And uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he win that thing, man. You knew because you played with the guy for a number of years. It seems like a lot of fans just are not sold on this guy, but you laid out exactly who he is and what he's all about. How do you think he does in the Super Bowl? How do you think that game goes? Uh, I think it's going to go well, man. Uh, I think it'll be a real low-scoring low game, that's what people think. Man, I think it'll be a great defensive game. Uh, you know, Cincinnati got a great front four. Uh, of course, you know, the uh, Rams got a great four. And both both offenses got – Real good receiver cores, so and you know it's gonna be all about who made the less mistakes. Uh, you know, with you know with me, I'm going with the veteran leadership, but you know with Joe Burrow, he's beating all the veteran guys. <laughs> so it's a it's a tough game, man. But, I, but I'm rooting for Stafford for sure. That's why I like having you on. You can break down all of this stuff for us really quickly, Darius. What about Odell Beckham Jr.? Like he things did not work out in Cleveland. He's able to force his way out of there, and most are assuming like, man, he's just not a good guy to have in the locker room. He's not what he was. And the Rams obviously love him, and he's producing. Yeah. He's playing at a high level. When you watch him play right now, what kind of thoughts do you have? Oh, uh, great thoughts, man. He's he's been like that all the time, man. Uh, Odell for sure is most one of the most gifted receivers in this league. Um, very explosive. Man, he does everything right, man. You know, he does he does have a character about himself as in he expresses how much he loves the game. It's not a negative thing that he loves the game. A lot of guys just don't like how he handles how much he loves it. So I like how he handles it, man. He shows expression because this is, this is hard to get here, you know. Only about the one percenters, and he wanted the one percenters. Uh, so uh, I'm glad it panned out for him in, in uh, L.A. I knew it was. 
you know, playing with Stafford, you know, Baker makes sure the Stafford is a big difference. So, uh, not saying Baker down good, but Stafford's in a crazy category. Talk about Darius Slate. You know, you talk about the love of the game, Darius. Like, are there guys? Can you get to that level and not love the game, or can you be great without loving the game? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you love the game, and I know I get around guys where they only want to talk about the game. Are there guys who play at that level who actually don't love the game, but maybe just kind of love the life? Not that I know of. Okay. You know, it's hard for that. <laughs> yeah, it's too much work, man. Everyday practice, grinding with your friends. You know, y'all become great friends, great teammates, and y'all build a legacy together. So I don't know how you don't like, you know, want to work hard and enjoy it and have fun doing it. All right, so let me finally ask you this. Speaking of your time in Detroit, Jim Caldwell, he's been a candidate for a number of jobs this offseason. He took the Lions to the playoffs twice in four years but still does not get nearly the respect that I think that he's earned. Why do you think that is, and what made him a good coach, such a good coach in your mind? Uh, I think it is just because, you know, uh, it just – I don't want to say it's like because, you know, but it's hard. I don't, I don't understand it, honestly. You know, a guy that can take a team to the playoffs, who's always fighting for a seed, uh, the winning division – He's a big, he's a great dude, but he leads by example. He's a great leader of a man, and he approached the coaching staff as grown man and players. So he treats you like a grown man instead of like a college kid. You know, uh, he probably had the most. He probably was the most coach I had had a lot of rules, but it was like, you know, set in stone. You know, he built that foundation there. Like he was real big on not having your shirt hanging out in practice. Stuff just make you feel professional, and you just appreciate it. I approach it to you as a grown man, steady as in. You better do this like some college kids. And um, so that's what a lot of guys love about him, man. But I don't understand how he ain't have a job yet. But uh, I'm sure it will come up soon, though, because he very much deserves it. Darius Slay, my guest. One last thought, Darius, about Philadelphia. Like, everybody who plays with you loves you. The guys you go up against love you. I'm curious, like, the Philadelphia experience, really unique sports town. They're hungry. They're tough. They want it so badly. What's the Philly experience been like for you? It's been good, man. You know, it's been a lot of uh, little difference for me, a little bit, you know, coming with the fans. The fans, are, they, are, they love their team. You know, uh, they support. And uh, that's why it was the uh, – Funnest year I had here for sure. You know, uh, the fans get in a, in a, interacting in the media and all kind of stuff. So, but uh, I appreciate it, man, because they hold us at a high standard. So, uh, you know, it makes me go out there and work harder just so I don't get booed. <laughs> Darius Slay, my guest, I love that. And listen, they want it badly. They're hungry, man. They got passion. They want to be a part of it. You got to respect it. You're making it to the Pro Bowl again. The Pro Bowl is live mm-hmm. from Las Vegas. It's Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. He is now officially a four-time Pro Bowl selection and an all-pro cornerback, Darius Slay. Darius, I appreciate you. I was looking forward to that. You always deliver when you come on. Thanks so much for doing it, man. Have a great weekend. Uh, you have a better one. Never bet alone ever again. You can join in on the action by downloading WinBet today and become a part of the newest sports betting app on the market. That's right, WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space and they're offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts all in the form of a sports book and digital casino app. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from football, basketball, hockey, golf, tennis, and more. 
Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have what you need to win. Are you ready to play? Sign up right now. Receive a special offer. Risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download. Bet. Win. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Luke List is my guest. Luke, it's great to have you on. How are you? Good, Jim. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you, Luke. So let me ask you, you went into that final round, five shots back of the leaders. So I'm curious, what was your mindset going into the final round on Saturday? Was it about just putting up a good number or were you thinking, I can win this whole thing. I'm in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, obviously to win any any, any level, you've got to uh, have a lot of good things go your way. And, you know, for me, it was more post, <clears throat> excuse me, posting a good round. And, you know, that was my main main thought. Then it started to get a little more, um, towards my back nine, um, no one had made a serious push yet. Um, so it looked like I was around the lead. And um, obviously, even when I posted, I thought it was going to be one or two shots short. But uh, again, the, the golf course was had some challenging holes and um, uh, enough breaks went my way where no one um, birdied 18. John Rahm made par and then uh, Will made par in regulation. So that was the break I needed for to get in the playoff and then obviously uh, come out on top. There you go. Luke List is joining us. What about that back nine? Like you had three more birdies in route to a 66 after being red hot early on, but you had some really big names that were coming up behind you. Guys like, as you mentioned, John Rahm, Jason Day, Justin Rose, and more. Did you feel like that number was going to hold up? Yeah, honestly, I didn't. I kind of had 16, 17 under in my head, um, especially after my front nine, and I was just telling myself to keep going and I had some looks. I had a couple, uh, you know, two short birdie putts, and I missed the par putt on 17 that kind of thought might do me in. But I knew the putt on 18 in regulation was a big putt. So to make that, um, regardless of knowing what was going to go down, that was uh, obviously really fun to make that putt in the moment. And then, um, but you know, for waiting right, waiting around for just under two hours, I was kind of thinking it was still going to be a little short, especially for for an hour of that. And then once. Uh, the leaders got to 16, 17, you know, Ron birdied 17. I thought he was going to birdie 18 to join the playoff. And um, you just never know what's going to happen. Totally out of your control. But again, lucky to, that it all went my way. I was going to ask you about those two hours because you did have roughly two hours to wait between the end of your round and the end of the final round overall. Like, did it feel like two hours? And what do you do during that time to stay focused and locked in? Yeah, the, the you know, I knew I had a long time. So the first half of that was kind of spent with my family and, um, you know, that was more relaxing, just hanging out with them and kept my mind off of it, which was great. And then once, you know, once those guys kind of got to 15, 16, I, I, I knew I need to warm back, warm back up and get ready to go if there was a playoff. So made my way out and was just hitting some balls and just, uh, just relaxing with my caddy, Jeff Willett, who's a big fan of yours. So give him a shout out. And he, uh, he kept me calm and we're just kind of hanging out and chilling and, um, had a night, you know, the scenery there is so, so epic, um, right there on the coast. So just enjoying the views and, um, you know, I felt pretty calm regardless of what happened and I was happy with the way I played. So it wasn't really much I can do. And then, but once, once it was uh final that I was going to be in the playoff, I was really excited because I knew that, um, you know, I was just in a good headspace and felt like I was going to go make a birdie no matter what. Luke List is joining us, no doubt, right? So you're in a good headspace. And then on that first playoff hole, you hit an absolutely flawless approach from 131 yards out, had a perfect angle, ended up less than a foot away from the hole. 
when you've had 205 starts, and by the way, you've had a really nice career, but when you've had 205 starts and you're still looking for that first PGA Tour win, how did it feel when you hit that shot? Yeah, you know, and, and I've said this before in a few a few other interviews that that, you know, that shot, I've hit that, you know, a thousand times with my coach and in, in, in that setting where, you know, I spent some time in Southern California when the, when the sun starts going down, it cools off. And, you know, I, I knew exactly how far I was playing and I just kind of clicked into to the to that zone of, you know, I've hit this shot, I've made this swing, I know how far it's gone, which is to execute. And um, to be able to do that was really special and um, something I'll remember for, for a long time. Luke List is joining us. Speaking of coaching, you know, one part of the game that you've worked on a lot is your putting. You worked with Steven Sweeney on putting over the winter. The story goes that he might have been expecting you to show up and being in kind of a bad space, right? Maybe even having the yips or something like that. But instead, he told you, quote, listen, you're doing what you're trying to do really well. It's just not what you should be doing. Like, what was it like for you to hear that? What did he mean by that? Well, he, he empowered me. He asked me a lot of questions, and, and I gave him my honest answers about what I was trying to accomplish in my putting, and um, I was just flat out wrong. I just wasn't – my approach was not the, the, the right way, and I knew that. I just didn't really know why it was that way or what I needed to do to fix it. So he was kind of the answer and the buffer to change, and he did a really good job of not only explaining why my method was not right but also explaining why his was – right for for moving forward and i buy went all in and you know we spent several weeks um you know over the holidays just practicing that and then i went back down and saw him again and made some changes and started to look like okay this could really be something special and i've been excited about him in the process ever since and um obviously for it to come you know to this point uh so early in our in our time together was really really cool and special and for him to get a you know first win from uh, as a coach um, out on the PGA Tour is special for him, and you know I think the world of him and, and the whole process that he's helped me achieve. So uh, can't wait to keep 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 up the work and and obviously try to keep getting better. Right. So what about that? Luke List is joining us. What about that? Like when you couple your improvement in putting and your first PGA Tour win, does it feel like things might be just about ready to break wide open for you? Yeah, it sounds good to me. I mean the. The problem, I think, with the, with any level athlete is the expectations and, and the mental component. So, if I can stay in my process of you know trying to improve on a you know daily basis and doing all the right things that have gotten me to this point, then I'll be in good shape. And I think that you know, you know, I've always been in a good frame of mind as far as ball striking. I think that I've got found a level of you know really just happiness off the course with my family and and that coupled with obviously using the putting method where that's an asset, not a deterrent. That's that's recipes for some good stuff, and I think that um, you know, irregardless, if I can just stay in that that headspace and, and moving forward of trying to get better, then I've got some good things ahead. Luke, I'm always really curious. I'm fascinated by it. In fact, mindset, headspace, and the, the realization that most people have—not just high-level athletes like you—but most of us now understand that the mind is the most important muscle, and it'd be really foolish not to work that muscle when you work every other muscle. What do you do to work on your headspace and be in the best mental frame of mind? Yeah, it's been a lot of work with with my coach, my swing coach Jamie Mulligan, and my caddy Jeff Willett. And then I've I've spent the last you know six eight months working with Dr. Uh, Deborah Graham, and she's she's been around for a long time, you know, coaching athletes and and mainly golfers. And and I think that her ability to break through with me and just understand who I am as a person outside of golf, and you know, without golf and understanding my traits and why what makes me tick, um, and really tapping into that is has tremendously helped me figure out who I am as a golfer also. And 
that's that's really important to um, just let go a little bit and understand that okay, I'm this is the way I am, and I'm happy, you know, with or without wins or with or with without you know my golf career. Um, that's that's been a level of kind of acceptance that's transformed and obviously good results and i think that that's if i can stay true to that then i'll be be okay isn't that interesting right that whole notion of try easier or maybe understand who you are like if you if you don't put too much on it and you kind of let go a little bit isn't it funny how you then have the success that you were trying so hard to get when you let go a little bit it's it's incredible and i think the best athletes and the best obviously the golfers the way they you know you've you've done all the work and the training it but it's the hardest thing ever for me personally to let go and, and not want it that bad. And, um, you know, I still, I know I still have that tendency and that, that, um, but you know, that's the fun part of, of this is trying to conquer those, um, uh, those feelings, and those emotions and try to, to, to truly own that and letting go. And I think that that's kind of what it is. If you can, um, like I said, tap into that, then you've got a lot of, uh, successful times ahead. Luke List is joining me for another moment or so. So you mentioned your family. I'm curious when you finally get that first win, you close it out, you get to celebrate with your wife and your kids. What was that moment like? Yeah, it was incredible. I remember that forever. I mean, to, you know, a couple of people asked me, would you have rather won earlier? And obviously yes, but that culmination of all those starts and all the, all the stuff I've been through to have that moment at Tory, which I love and, and, to, for them to be there all of it, my daughter to be old enough to kind of know what's going on. Um, and just my wife who supported me, you know, from day one, ups, downs, she's seen it all. And, and um, you know, it's there's a lot of glamour in our business, but there's a lot of tough times and away from, from them. And uh, for them all to be there was really, really special. And I'll have that to, to look back on forever. Hey, Luke, one last thing. You mentioned your daughter being old enough to understand now what's going on. Oh, she understands all right. She wanted to make sure that you got a trophy, and that when you got that trophy, she could load it up full of candy, except the trophy for the tournament features a Tory Pine. So what did she make of the trophy? Yeah, I mean, I think she she definitely uh, was not shy of the cameras, so that was that was pretty funny. But uh, just in the moment, you know, I think that her being in my arms and, my, and just us all embracing, I think that's special enough for her. The actual trophy – you know, she she thought it was a cool. She thought it was a flower. It's actually just the Tory Pine, but um, the surfboard too is a nice little gesture that they do now with that. And uh, you know, I think I think we'll have to have to get her another a traditional looking silver trophy, like a U.S. Open trophy or something, because so she can put some candy in that. I like it. One last thought. I lied. The, the Vanderbilt experience. I mean, what an absolutely awesome campus, awesome institution. And I would imagine, without knowing that, some of your best times probably in the sport was playing college golf. What was that like? You know, college golf's great. Obviously, you know, with such an individual sport, you put five guys together and a coach and, and make it a team aspect. And um, besides, you know, representing your country, you know, for a Ryder Cup or President's Cup, and I guess now the New Orleans tournament, there's there's not that many opportunities to be a team. So that I really cherish that. And, you know, four years to, to get my degree at a really special institution was fantastic. And I look back on that and um, nothing but good, good memories. And I think that, you know, a lot of young kids, whether they – you know, go for a year or two years. I still think that the just the overall experience as a human being and growing up, um, you know, four years is, and going to school is really important. So I always encourage people to go ahead and just finish up and, and do that because you never know what can happen um, with your with your sporting career. I agree, or or your life in general. I agree yeah, with you. Exactly. Like it's not for everybody. I'm not saying you you have to go, and it's not for everybody. But what a great experience, and for so many different reasons. He is a PGA Tour golfer, three professional wins, and a winner of the Farmers Insurance Open on Saturday. Luke, congrats on that win. Great to watch it, and great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Good night now.